Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5, and we're going to look at today the tactics of Satan. The tactics of Satan. The reason we're using that term tactics is because the old King James will say, be careful the wiles of the devil, or in other words, the schemes of the devil. What you're going to see today is that we have a hostile enemy, and this enemy wants to destroy us. He wants to take us down, and we're in this spiritual battle, and what you're going to see with the first temptation that hit Adam and Eve is not only a literal temptation that caused the fall of man, but is also being repeated over and over again in our lives. The same things that happened to Adam and Eve will be foisted on us in the forms of temptation to get us to fall, to get us to ruin our lives, to get us to shipwreck our faith. So what you're going to see from this this point that we're going to make is what we're living with today. And we're going to learn, it's all application in this passage. It's a lot of application. And what you're going to learn is how the devil is going to come at you. What tricks he's going to use. Because I can tell you this, nothing's changed. It's still the same tactics that he uses on people to get them to sin, to get them to disfellowship from the Lord. So let me give you the setting. The setting is we're in the time frame between Genesis 2.25 to 3.1, we don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the garden enjoying it before Satan came to tempt them. We do know that Satan has fallen at this point in time. We talked about that, the gap between Genesis 1 and 2. So Satan has fallen. He's taken a rebellion with him. And now the setting really is this. Satan was originally given the planet Earth, a gem-like Earth, to have dominion over and authority. He lost that. Now, these human beings are being created, Adam and Eve, and they are now given authority over planet Earth. Satan's tactic now is to usurp Adam and Eve, take their authority away, and then become the god of this world, little g. And he did succeed at it. He became the god, little g, of this world system. He became the ruler of this world, as Messiah called him, and is in control of the world system now as the usurper. He is the usurper. So this is what he's going to do. He's going to try to usurp Adam and Eve and take them down. We're going to watch this play out, but then we're going to apply it to our lives. So let's start in verse 1 and look at what happens. And it says this, Now the serpent, let's stop right there. What the scriptures are indicating is that Satan is now not going to come In his spiritual form, he is going to possess an animal and use an animal against Adam and Eve. The principle is Satan will disguise himself when he comes to you. So let's let's talk about this serpent. It's called in Hebrew the nakash. Let me show you a picture of maybe what the nakash maybe looked like. We're not quite sure. It was either bipedal or quadrupedal. We don't know. We do know it stood upright. We do know it had a luminescent feature about it. 
Uh, nakash is a similar word to what that we would use for luminous or bronze. So this animal had like a luminescent feature to it. It, it glowed, if you want to say. The root word in the Hebrew, though, for serpent means to practice divination. It means in a noun form, it, it is divination. So there's something equated to this serpent with a luminescent feature, and then later on, it connotates divination, coming in contact with the occult, okay? A demon, Satan. It, there's a lot of things wrapped up into it. So what Satan does then is he goes to this creature and possesses it. Now, here's a deal about this creature. It is a serpent, teen, and then Satan gets connected to this serpent, and it's why Satan is called the serpent of old in Revelation 12 and 20. Satan used this animal to deceive. So when you hear in Scripture the serpent of old, it's referring to the deceptive practices of Satan. Interesting enough, when the snakes were biting the Israelites in the desert, Moses was told to put a pole up with a bronze or nakash on the top of it, a bronze serpent, a nakash. You remember this situation? It actually prefigured the Messiah. As Messiah would be put on a cross, Messiah is told to become sin for us. Not that he had any sin and was cursed for us. And it's a prefigure of this, the bronze serpent, the nakash, on the pole. He became sin for us. But notice that the nakash is always related to sin. It's always related to evil. Okay? And so Christ took that sin on for us in our punishment. Okay. So let's turn, turn back to the nakash. It is a luminescent animal. But notice what the scripture says. You can see some other pictures. Maybe this is what it looked like. We're not sure. Let's go back to the text, uh, the forward head. The Nakash basically says it was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. Notice it says that the Lord made it. So it's a creature that's been made by the Lord, but the term you want to zero in on is cunning. It's very cunning. Now, it's a neutral word in the Hebrew, but it means shrewd. Prudent. It's where we get the idea of wisdom. In Hebrew, it's arum. Versus when in Genesis 22, 25, it says Adam and Eve were arumim, naked, and were not ashamed. Interesting. The word arum and arumim are connected, and it's trying to tell you something. That the cunningness of this animal is going to be used to attack the nakedness, or what we call the integrity of Adam and Eve. It's a wordplay on the, the word arum in Hebrew. Satan basically is going to attack human integrity through the nakash. That's the idea. See, when it says uh, Adam and Eve were naked and not ashamed, it means they're oblivious to anything evil. They don't, they don't suspect it. Jesus, though, gave us a warning and told us to be as wise as serpents. You remember that phrase? It's the idea that don't be ignorant to evil. We, try, we, we want to call that street smarts. A lot of Christians, because they got saved early on in life, lack 
street smarts. What do I mean by that? This is what Jesus tried to emphasize. Think like a serpent. Think like unbelievers think. Think like the world thinks in this sense, to know what's coming at you. Don't be naive to the world. That's what he was trying to say. He didn't say act like them. He just says know what they're about. And that's, that's the admonition we take away because Adam and Eve are in a situation where they're not fully aware of the evil that's getting ready to happen to them. And so Satan is going to go after the naivety of them in that sense. What's the goal for Satan? To take back his authority over the planet. That's what he's going after, okay? He's going to take them down. The first tactic then you want to see is this, as far as an application. Satan will present what is attractive and harmless to us to tempt us. Now, what do you mean? He's taken the form of a creature that's made to serve Adam and Eve, a helpmate, so to speak, a subordinate creature that's attractive. It's luminescent. It glows. And it's also non-threatening. It seems to be a friend. It's a subordinate who's a friend. That's a tactic you need to be aware of. When Satan comes to you, it will typically not be a superior. It will be an inferior who seems to want to help you. And that person you will let in because they're helping you. The Nakash was created to help Adam and Eve. He's very cunning. This Nakash is going to help them in some form or fashion. We don't know all the reasons this animal was created, but he was going to help them. This animal has the ability to speak too, by the way. So somehow he's a servant to Adam and Eve. So she doesn't think anything's wrong with dealing with him. He's there to help them, right? That's how first Satan approaches you to get you. Now the attack. And he said, that's the attack. The Nakash has the ability to speak. Satan is now using its vocal cords. Satan has taken full possession of the Nakash, and he is speaking through the Nakash. As you will notice, Eve or Adam, because they're both there, will not be surprised that this animal and creature is talking to them. What does that indicate? It implies they're used to this creature talking and conversing with them. Now, we do know even in the fallen world that we have that some animals have the ability to converse like a parrot or whatnot, and they have the ability to communicate. But prior to the, the flood, prior to the fall, the Nakash had the ability to speak, and he's a wise creature. Satan took this guy to speak through. So the attack then comes through the Nakash through words. What's the second tactic then? Satan will work to infiltrate, to get on the inside in order to divide and conquer. So he's going to use this animal, and he uses this animal to get into the garden. Remember I told you that one of Adam's duties was to protect the perimeter of the garden. He was there to be a protector. But Satan now has invaded the garden. There are no walls. There are no roofs to the garden tabernacle. He has now invaded the garden through the Nakash. And the Nakash is right there in the garden with them. They have been infiltrated. So what Satan does is he befriends you and he works his way inside the organization. 
He works his way inside your family. He works his way inside someone trying to help you. That's the Nakash. And he will divide and conquer. His idea is to get inside, get you to trust him, and then he divides you. And he will divide your marriage. He'll divide your family. He will divide your kids from you because he works inside. I'm just here to help you guys. How did he get inside? Adam wasn't doing his duty. He wasn't guarding the perimeter. That's how. And now he's on the inside and he's speaking. Notice, go back to the text. He says to the woman, wait a second. There's a problem right there. Where's Adam? What, what is he doing? Out, out, out playing golf? What, where's Adam? What is he doing? He's right there, guys. Adam is right there. So, again, don't think Adam's on way, you know, on a golf retreat or something like that. He's right there. Who did Satan go to first? Okay, I'm showing you a principle. He's going to her. He's going straight for her. But what's his goal? He has to get Adam. I'm going to go through the woman to get the man. That's how it works. We talked about this a couple of weeks. The Adam syndrome, the passive man who won't take the lead in his family and protect the family spiritually. And we also talked about the Eve syndrome, where the woman takes the spiritual leadership of the family. It's playing right out in front of you guys. At this point, Adam syndrome... He's being passive in the whole thing. And he's going right to Eve, who's taking the spiritual lead on this. She should have instantly backed up and said, you need to talk to my husband. That's what she should have done. She should have, she was, she's the subordinate. She's the helpmate. Adam, Nakash. I don't know what he's up to, but he's talking to me. And I don't need to be talking to him. He's going to twist her into a theological pretzel that she can't even get out of. And you're going to watch it play right in front of you. Serious stuff, principle, in your family, in the church, in any spiritual environment, I'm going to tell you what he's going to do. He's going to go after the spiritual head. If it's your family, it's the, the spiritual head in your family is the guy. Satan will go after the guy, not with a full frontal attack, but will come in from the rear through the woman. Oh, that seems sexist. I'm just telling you, if you want to know what the tactics are, he's going to evade the house through the woman. That's how it works. And his goal is not to take the woman out, it's to take the man out. That's what he's going to do. I'm just going to be straight up with you. When a woman decides to be the spiritual leader of her home, she makes herself vulnerable to the nakash, to Satan. And if the guy decides to take a passive role in the spiritual leadership and says, well, she just handles all that, guess what? You will be taken down through your wife. That's how it works, guys. And I'm just going to tell you, you're going to watch this play out. Watch what happens. Has God, here's the question, here's the attack. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Boy, we have to unpack that. Boy, that was slick. Oh. Go back to the text. Has God, let's just start there. He instantly is going to put doubt into her mind. And notice he uses the, the, the word Elohim, not Yahweh God. He's taken the personal name out and put in the generic name, Elohim, before the text will say in Genesis, Yahweh God. 
personal name, all-powerful. But Satan is pretty crafty. Let me take the personality from God away. Yahweh is removed. God, generic. As if they don't have a relationship with him. Has God is a doubtful question. And notice what the question says. He starts with you. He's speaking directly to Eve. The commandment was given to Adam, not Eve. She was given information from Adam because he was created first about the situation. But Satan goes, you. He's targeting her because he's going to take her down first. And he's putting her in a situation as if she's in charge. You shall not. Negative first. It's negative. In the original command, the negative is at the end. Satan puts the negative at the front. Why does he put the negative at the front? He's trying to disparage God. God's just a a joy kill, isn't he? Puts the negative first. You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. What's wrong with that statement? It's the reversal of what God said. You can eat of any freely of the garden you want except this one. He says, he first comes out with a statement and says, oh, I, I hear you can't eat any of the trees here. You see that? Negative, harsh, God's condemning, God's judgmental. He's not letting you do anything. He's a constant killjoy. What is he trying to do? Distance Eve from God, that God is somehow not personal. He's not for them. And he's, boy, he's a, he's a stickler for the rules, man. What's the tactic? Satan will encourage us to judge or question what God has said. That's the first order of business. If he can get you to challenge that. Basically, what it is, is he wants to start a debate with you. Has God? That's the debate. It's not an outright denial. It's just a, a debate. So it's something like this. Did you hear right? Did you interpret God right? Maybe you misinter- misinterpret what he said. Don't take God literally. He's speaking allegorical or metaphorical. Come on. That's not what he meant. You're a legalist. It's a more general principle. Or how about the new, the new one? It's not time-bound. That's for back 2,000 years ago. It's not for you. He wants it to be a debate. Question, why is it in churches that gay marriage is even a debate? What are we talking about here? Why is transgenderism in a church debatable? It's not. Why is any sin debatable? Like you saw in the prophecy thing. Why are churches and denominations, whole, whole denominations saying, oh yeah, we're, we're going to debate abortion. It's not debatable. That's a black and white issue. You see what's happening? Satan has put everything that God has said as a sin is now debatable. Well, we just don't know. We don't know, you know, you know, as long as you're monogamous in a homosexual relationship, what? That's not even, you don't even bring it to the table, dude. But now everything's a debate, isn't it? Huh. It's happening right now. Show you another tactic. And the other tactic is Satan will add to and or subtract from the word of God. Notice I told you he added the negative at the beginning. And he, and he, he, so emphasizing that God's negative, and he took away the words freely or any in the Hebrew text. 
God says, you can have any or freely eat of any of the trees. What was God showing? That I'm, I'm, I, I, I give you all of this. All of this is yours. Just accept this one. But Satan turns it upside down. He takes the words out. And then he uses you to bypass the man. Oh, guys. When you see what Satan does, this guy ain't playing fair. This guy is super intelligent, way beyond our capacities. The only hope we have against him is the word of God. And right now, you're going to see Eve get so tripped up, she's going to get trapped by him because she doesn't know the word of God that well. Let me show you another tactic. Satan uses exaggeration to make God seem harsh. He took out the word every and freely. Satan is overstating the case. You can't have any of the trees, can you? Wow, I'd hate to live it under those conditions. You heard people argue, a married couple argue when they overstate the case, when they say, you always, you never. You know what they're doing? They're overstating the case. They're exaggerating. That's what he's doing. Sixth tactic. Let me show you this one. Satan first targets the woman to get to the man. Why does he do that? Satan watched God create human beings. He watched God create Adam, and he watched God create Eve. You better know he knows full well what man's strength is and what man's weaknesses are. He knows what women's strengths are, and he knows what women's weaknesses are as well. And he capitalizes on this. This is why Paul, in the New Testament, will give a warning of why women can't be pastors. And it's not because he's a sexist. But note what he says. This is in Timothy. 1 Timothy 2. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And do not permit, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Talking about being a pastor. But be in silence. Not that women can't speak in the church. He's talking about teaching a didactic lesson from the scriptures. Notice what he says. It goes back to creation. For Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Stop right there. What is he saying about that situation? Is it an education thing? No, Eve's, Eve's brilliant, by the way. Her IQ would be off the charts. What was the issue? He says Adam wasn't deceived. She was. And the same thing, why I don't allow a woman pastor, is for the same reason that happened in the garden is what Paul is saying. What's going on there? Well, no one really wants to say it, and no commentary will say it, but I will. Okay? And it has to do with how women are made. Women's greatest strength becomes their greatest weakness in the spiritual realm. Women are nurturers, more emotional than men. No doubt about it, hands down. This is across the board. Any scientific study will tell you this. Women are nurturers. They're more emotional. They're, they're made for for raising children. Men are wired totally different. Men are a little bit more detached. They're less emotional. And in the spiritual realm, that helps them. When you're more emotionally gauged, you're easier to deceive by using your emotions. Hence, the reason Paul says women can't be pastors is because their emotional makeup doesn't allow them the discernment that they need to guard against the nakash. 
okay? That's the problem. Anytime you see a cult, anytime you see a woman pastor, you will watch false doctrine enter through the door of that every time. I'm not saying men don't introduce false doctrine. I'm not saying that at all because they do. But we're talking about this context, and this is the reason why. So he knows, Satan knows to go to her first because she's the more emotional creature. And hence, he can use her emotions against her to manipulate her. Let's go back to the text, verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, we, she's acting for Adam, by the way. Notice that? She's taking the lead. May eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. She's minimizing it a little bit. She leaves out the word freely and any, by the way. So she's already, she's, she's gone. He's got her. She's already minimizing the freedom that she has. Wow, how fast that happened. She's acting collectively. She modifies that. And she's now magnifying the strictness of God. But, and here's the strictness. Of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it. What happened here? Well, again, she's magnifying the strictness of God, but I want you to notice, she doesn't name the tree. She only says the one in the midst of the garden. She's more interested and focused on the location of the tree and what she doesn't have access to versus the name of the tree. What is the name of the tree? The knowledge of good and evil. So what is she doing? Already her mind is messed up. She's focusing on what's off limits and the location rather than what the tree signifies. The tree signifies as if she takes of the fruit and eats of it, she will become independent of God and trying to become a God unto herself, deciding what's right and wrong in her own life without God's intervention. That's what it symbolizes. But she doesn't think theologically anymore. She's only thinking what's off limits. I can't have that. Yeah, but add in why you can't have it, Eve. It will destroy you. You do not possess the character or nature and the ability to become a God unto yourself. You're just a creature. That belongs solely to God. And that's why it's off limits. But she doesn't go there. Folks, when we focus in on the restrictions in our life and not the reasons why, you're going to get jammed up. Because eventually you'll push through the restriction if you don't understand the why. And that's what's happening to her. Notice what she adds, though. Nor shall you touch it. Wait a second. He never told Adam that. He says, eat. Don't eat it. He had nothing to do with touching. She adds this. She makes the prohibition harsher. She adds law, more law than what was intended. She's now becoming a legalist. She's adding stuff to it. And then notice what she says, lest you die. She makes God harsher, but then she minimizes the consequences. It doesn't say lest you die. It says that the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And the idea in the, the Hebrew is muth, muth. It's a double, death, death. Dying you shall die. It talks about the severity and the harshness of the consequences. But she minimizes the consequences. She says, yeah, you die. She didn't even know what she's talking about. She didn't emphasize the penalty. That's what Satan wants her to do, is minimize the penalty consequences of our actions. Wow. Let's go to the second attack, verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, 
you will not surely die. We move now from doubt and debate to denial. A flat-out denial. God is a liar. Notice that Satan doesn't come that way at the first. The first, he just wants to come as a friendly debater. Let's talk about this. And then before you know it, as he worms his way through the debate, he will eventually deny. And that's what he did. The, te- the tactic. Satan will advance from questioning to denial. That's the idea of heresy. It's a constant denial, 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 denial. You watch what's happening on these issues. And all these issues we're facing today. Abortion, homosexual marriage, transgenderism, Israel, all of this stuff. You name it, watch what happens. You're going to see eventually denials of it. We've already seen it. Like, for instance, take the issue of Israel. Very few churches are pro-Israel. They deny Israel. By denying Israel, they deny the Abrahamic covenant. That's a denial. That's it. Replacement theology is a denial of the Abrahamic covenant. And yet, the majority of churches teach this. What's going to happen with gay marriage? What's going to happen with people who say they're Christian and gay? Watch what's going to happen. It's already happening in many denominations. They're already accepting it. They're already accepting that you can be Christian and practice homosexuality. That's the new trend, by the way. So it moves from less debate on whether you can be a Christian or homosexual versus denial. That's where this is all going. It's the same thing being played out. The other tactic, another tactic here, Satan will deny or minimize the penalty or consequences by making God less holy. You will not surely die. What is he saying? He's denying the consequences in the penalty phase that God said, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. You won't die. God's bluffing. He doesn't mean that. Look, Satan wants you to think that sin isn't that serious. God's too loving to judge you. Isn't that what they say in pulpits? He would never spank you and take you to the woodshed, would he? He's too loving. He's so loving, he doesn't even penalize bad behavior. He just says, boys will be boys. Like a doting grandfather. Wrong. God is holy. And because he's holy, his holiness requires justice that must be met out. Even with believers who get themselves in areas of sin, he will take them to the woodshed and discipline those believers. But Satan says, ah, come on, that kind of God, we want a more loving God like Joel Osteen preaches, Brandon, or any of these other joy boys. I don't want to think that God would take me to the woodshed. You're just being too harsh. I can't hardly take it here at Rock Harbor. It's just too much. Look, it's the word of God. It is what it is. And you can go to someone soft peddling it all you want and tell you what you want to hear. But, but Satan is minimizing the penalty aspect. He's trying to show us, don't take this lightly. Look what Jesus said about God the Father. He says, don't fear anyone that can hurt the body, but fear the one who can destroy your soul in hell. Boy, I don't hear that out of the joy boys. But Jesus, the Messiah, said that. (laughs) Let's go back to the text. Verse 5. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
See, what Satan is trying to do is say a half-truth. Yeah, their eyes will be open, and they'll be like God in some sense, in this sense that they're going to become their own God unto themselves, not ontologically, not changing their nature, but they're going to determine right and wrong for their own lives. That's true in one sense, but it's a perverted sense. Does that make sense? It's true. So Satan, what happened, what he does to us, he comes with a half-truth. This will make you feel good, and it will. That's why people do it. That's why people get addicted to things, because it does make them feel good, whether it's food or drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever. It does make them feel good, right? That's why they do it. Otherwise, they wouldn't. So it's a half-truth, but he doesn't show them later on in the gutter with their lives destroyed and them losing their family. He doesn't show them that. And he's, saying, he's telling you, are going to be like God. That's why he's, he's holding back on you, man. He doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't have your best interest, but me and the kosh, hey, I'm for you, man. I'm, I'm for you trying to get through this life. I don't know about him, but he's not really helping you, is he? He's making your life harder, isn't he? I'm here to make your life easy. Mm, he's, that's slick. Whew, make my life easier? Who, who wouldn't want a, their life to be easier? Who wouldn't want that? Some of you, tomorrow is a nightmare. Monday morning, tomorrow starts the new nightmare. Right? And you have to get through the whole week to get to the weekend because it's a nightmare every day. Right? What if Satan came and said, hey, man, I'll make your life easier. Let's do this and let's do that. Hey, that sounds about right. Yeah, but, you, you know, he's not going to tell you the consequences of that, though. Huh. A couple tactics. We'll wrap up. Satan will mix truth with falsehood. That's the principle. Now, people think that Satan comes to you in his ugly form and tells you an outright lie. He doesn't do that. What Satan does will give you about 90 to 95% truth, by the way. And it'll be the 5% that he hides from you. But it's like drinking a can of Coke. If I pop that Coke and it's 90% or 95% Coke, but 5% cyanide, what's it going to do to you? Well, it's 90% Coke. Yeah, but it's going to kill you if you drink it is the idea. See, that's what he does. It's 90% true. He doesn't come with 90% falsehood. That's not how he operates. He twists, he turns, a little here, a little there. Another tactic. Satan will suggest a denial of God's integrity, his goodness, and his personal relationship with you. Notice he, that neither of them are referring to God as Yahweh. They're just referring to God in the generic. He's already distanced her from God. And now what he's doing, he's saying, <laughs> he doesn't want this happening to you because he didn't want you like him. He's holding back on you. So there is this thing where God will attack, or sorry, Satan will attack your view of God, that you don't think God is that good or that he's not really there to help you. He can help other people, but he won't help me. And so after a while, you start living your life thinking that you're the stepchild of the Christian faith and that you don't get anything, he will convince you of that. And before you know it, your distance between God and you will continue to increase. You know what happens to a lot of Christians? They're bittered up at God. And they'll say things, why did you allow this to happen in my life? And Satan says, yes, that's right, keep asking him. Because, man, this is what he whispers. If he, ha he has the power to change your life, 
Why doesn't he do that? Why does he let you keep struggling like you are? Why does he let you throw you in the deep end and you trying to, 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 to swim out of that? Why doesn't he throw a life preserver? He could just help your life just like that because he, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Why doesn't he give you a million dollars? He could help you out of your jam right away, couldn't he? You see that kind of talk? And you say, yeah, you're right. He's all powerful. Why doesn't he help me? See, what he wants you to think is that this this God that we serve doesn't really want to help you. He's really not concerned about your life to doubt the goodness of God. And if he can get you to do that, your distance from him will increase and he's got you. So much so that one day you will shipwreck your faith if you don't, or you're not careful. The biggest thing Christians face is they're angry at God for letting things happen in their life. Let me tell you something. The short answer is it's called free will. That's the answer, the theological answer, but he doesn't want to talk about that. The theological answer is God allowing free will to play out in our lives. He must allow us to have the free will in order to be free will creatures. That's the essence of love. The reason God doesn't intervene in all situations, not that he does, he does in some situations, but in the majority of your life, he doesn't intervene because he's letting the free will of you and others play itself out. He has to because that is the definition of love. You, in order to have a loving relationship, you have to give free will to the other person. That's how the answer is. But Satan doesn't want you thinking like that. He just wants you to get it grumped up and be mad at God. So then he can introduce the error and the lie. So what have we learned through this? What Satan is offering to Eve is empty. There's nothing behind it. He's promising them you'll be like God, but they're not going to be. They're going to die. So, so what he's offering you and I, what seems so good, is nothing. He offers everything but provides nothing. That's how his game is. And what is the purpose? To take them down and to take you and I down. Nothing. He offers nothing. He can't offer anything. Have you seen this new toy? It's called Invisible Jim. Yeah, it's a new toy. It hit the market. It started in England, and I think they're trying to sell it here in America. Invisible Jim. It starts about $2.50. The company says sales were brisk. Complaints scarce, they said. Do you know what Invisible Jim is? It's like a G.I. Joe, but he's invisible. You can't see him, can you? But he's there. And the great thing about Invisible Jim is you can't lose him. You can't break him. And also you can't find him. Believe it or not, people were stupid enough to buy this. So they opened the package and Invisible Jim's in there. And there's nothing to grab to because he's invisible. And they're saying, we didn't sell you anything. We didn't tell you. He's invisible. And there's people, what? I paid $2.50 for this. No doubt. The company made a fortune on this guy. Okay, question. This is what Satan is selling in the spiritual realm. He's selling to Adam and Eve. He's selling to you and I invisible gem. And we're thinking, wow, look at the package. Wow, it's got these spirals. He must do something. 
It says realistic hair. His mission, save the world. He has a gripping hand. I can't see it. He has darting eyes. I can't see his eyes. This is what people are buying. And this is what Satan is saying to you. You can have the whole world. It's all yours if you'll just worship me. And what did Messiah come back and tell us? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? Don't buy what Satan is selling. Only take what the Lord provides through his word. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.